Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Amen, amen. Jesus rose from the dead, and all of you are out of your bed. Praise God this afternoon. Today's Resurrection Sunday, in the words of Mary Magdalene, He's not there. He has risen from the dead. Praise the Lord, church. Good afternoon. Good to see you guys. All those that are joining in through YouTube live stream, we welcome you. Today, perhaps, the single greatest day for us all follow of Christ. All believers all throughout the world, today we celebrate for our Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has resurrected and he imparts to us the wonderful power and the joy through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So welcome, church. Good to see you guys. As always, I miss you, love you, and I still long and pray for the day where we will be gathered together physically in this sanctuary, shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand, worshiping our God. Uh, Today's just one simple announcement. Uh, We want to remind you that all members, you should have gotten an email this week. Uh, Just stick around and join our Zoom room, okay? For we will have a time of having bingo. We have wonderful, wonderful prizes available for you guys. I believe it's a gift card or gift certificate for DoorDash. So you and your family can enjoy A wonderful meal. Today, you don't have to cook. So all those that are participating, you will have a chance to participate in that today. Without further ado, let's go straight into the Word of God. So if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. John, chapter 16. Verse 16 through 24. And let's read together, shall we? This is the reading of God's word. In a little while, I'm reading from the NIV today, New International Version. Verse 16. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while, you won't see me. But then you will see me. And I am going to the Father. And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves that I meant what I meant? I said in a little while, you won't see me. But a little while after that, you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time... You won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, 
And he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer as we begin our message today? God, we thank you for allowing us to gather in your presence to lift our hands in praise and worship of you. And God, we praise you because of what you have done for us. God, you made a way where there was no way through your son, Jesus Christ, for the act of sacrifice that he has demonstrated on the cross. God, we are forever and eternally grateful. God, today we long to tap into the power and the promise Through your son's resurrection, God, I pray that you would overwhelm us, overflow with your joy, God. This deep current of joy that springs forth from the depths of our hearts, God. God, we pray for that. God, we long for that. And God, we will open up our ears now and concede our hearts to you so that you may speak to us. Give us the word of life. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we turn our attention to John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. This is actually the concluding portion of the three final teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples subsequent to sharing his last meal with them. After that, Jesus would make His long prayer for his disciples, which is recorded in the next chapter, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. And that is also followed by the prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done. So by this time, there's really ample mentioning of the events that are to take place. Jesus already foretells of his future. He reminds and he lets his disciples know, his best friends know, that God had planned for Jesus, his life, to be ended in a very tragic way. So disciples' hearts are very troubled. They're grieving. They're kind of running... um, Uh, aimlessly as they would not know what they would be doing subsequent to Jesus' incumbent death. So the mood, if you're around the disciples and Jesus himself, the mood is, well, as gloomy as you could possibly imagine. The disciples were discouraged. They were hopeless. Uh, I'm sure they were probably questioning even their faith, the purpose of their lives, I can imagine some of them wondering, man, the last three years that we spent with him. Man, what what is this all about if Jesus is going to be taken away from us? Certainly in those moments, joy or rejoicing would be the last thing that disciples would feel or would have felt at that time. So the passage we read, or we read, therefore, records this powerful emotional moment when Jesus gives his last words to his beloved disciples. And because it was an emotional moment, Jesus spoke about emotions. In verse 22, he tells us he saw the intense sorrow or deep grief they had in the disciples' hearts. Jesus also anticipated the sorrow that he would have 
foreseeing that many of them, actually all of them, would desert him at the point, at the time of his death. This is mentioned in verse 32 where it says, You will be scattered to leave him alone. Him, he's talking about himself. He also knows that it's inevitable that the disciples will scatter, will turn their backs against Jesus. So I'm sure we all know what that's like, right? So Jesus is talking about this moment, deep moment of sorrow, grieving, anguish, pain, this deep sadness. I know that all of us may know what, that, what it's like to be sorrowful, to be distressed and bemoaning our current circumstances. Perhaps it's the overwhelming feeling when we encounter a great hardship or a new challenge or the deep sorrow that we experience in times of our personal losses, such as the loss of a dear friend, our family member, or any loved one in our lives. Or the fear and anxiety in the loss of position or retrenchment, loss of a job, loss of money, any financial loss that we would have in the course of our lives, all of these things would allow us to feel deep pain, deep grief, oftentimes leading us to not know what we should do going forward. But in spite of these moments, this is exactly what the disciples were feeling. They were feeling lost. And they were robbed of the sense of any hope and joy. It's a real human emotion. It is a powerful emotion at that. But friends, but Jesus promises while we are lost in our despair, hopelessness, and subjugated and demoralized by the pain of life and the fear of the unknown, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, promises us joy. Amen? Amen. Joy that knows no bounds. Joy that isn't contingent on our circumstances. Today, we want to learn and glean from our passage about Jesus' power to turn our sorrow into joy. First, the joy that Jesus offers us knows no bounds. Meaning, the joy that Jesus offers to you and me is hyper-circumstantial. Meaning, our joy is not dependent upon life circumstances. The joy that Jesus promises has nothing to do with what goes on and in around our lives. And that's great news, folks, because it is not fickle. It is not superficial because it does not depend on what happens around us. And it is powerful and enduring because of that truth. Dallas Willard, a great writer and a theologian, modern theologian, once said that joy is not pleasure. A mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. See, he allows us to glean from the truth of what God's joy is. See, the joy that Jesus promises to us, it's not just a feeling 
a happy feeling. It's not just a sense of gladness because things in our lives are going according to our plans. It's not because we have been endowed with the blessings. It's not because we're experiencing happy emotions. Rather, the joy that Christ offers to us, it is within, it comes from deep within, the source of our faith and security, knowing that we are beloved by God. We have been redeemed and saved from our sins. And God considers us the apple of His eyes. You see, friends, the primary source of our joy that you and I need to understand is that we belong to God. And God loves us eternally. It is also a joy that remains in the heart. Jesus said at the end of verse 22, he says this, that no man can take this joy away from you. Meaning there's not anybody in our world that can take away what God has deposited into all of us. The joy that you and I have is now robbable. Is that a word? No one can rob the joy that you and I have. And nothing can diminish this deep-seated joy. And this is the very thing that makes it possible to have this joy even in times of great sorrow and despair. Let's read verse 21 here. And we will understand that when we read this passage that joy is this powerful emotion. It allows us to even push through and look beyond our current circumstances and current suffering. And, and Jesus places this great analogy of a woman giving birth. So I'm going to read verse 21 for us here. A woman giving birth to a child has pain. Because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Well, let's, uh, all of you who are mothers here, you guys are the experts what this passage is talking about. Because certainly you have encountered and experienced, you have lived through the birthing pains. But for those, including myself, who are not mothers or mothers yet, or who can never become mothers, may not fully appreciate this as much as you. So here's something that may help the rest of us to know what mothers go through. The scientists or the medical doctors say that 25% of first-time mothers, one out of every four first-time mothers, and one out of every ten experienced mothers rate the pain of giving birth as Horrible, excruciating, and never to be repeated again. Meaning, this is how intense the pain is. For mothers giving birth, one out of four new mothers, one out of ten uh, repeated mothers giving birth, they said, we will never go through this again. And labor pain comes in waves. And it's like a muscle cramp multiplied by a thousand times because the womb supposedly is the largest and strongest muscle in the body. I mean, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around this fact, so I did a lot of research. Um, uh, potentially, it has the mo most potential to expand to be the greatest in size and strength. 
So because of the largeness of the muscles, that's why the labor pains could last anywhere from 8 hours, lasting anywhere north of 40 hours. So imagine your mother ready to give birth, wondering when this pain would end, but it's not ending. But you know you have to push this child out. So you're enduring your pain, you're enduring your suffering, hoping and waiting that at any moment this would come to an end. But you're just agonizing. There's turmoil, literally your, your body is literally being ripped apart. As as one mother describes that feeling as, it feels as if she would burst. But what happens at the end of that? But the moment the baby's first cries are heard, all of that pain, all of that anguish, the mother feels would suddenly mask by feelings of intense joy. And Jesus is using that powerful imagery, informing the disciples He says, yes, there will be pain. Yes, you're in the midst of a great trial. Yes, it doesn't look that hopeful right now. Things look very bleak. Yes, you are losing the battle. Yes, I will be gone. Yes, I will be put to death. But it's reminding the disciples, but the pain and the suffering is but momentary. You're able to endure because there's a release of joy that is about to take place. Amen. Can you see how valuable this is? Where Jesus reminds his disciples, the pain and the anguish that you feel will just be momentary. Your afflictions on earth are temporal. This is why we can rejoice. Jesus does not offer joy Instead of suffering, our Lord Jesus offers joy that comes to us is in spite of our suffering. Amen. Perhaps today as you're listening to this message, when you look around your life, when you count the blessings, there is not much to count. When you examine your life, when you examine the relationships that you have, you feel pain, you see, you, you see hopelessness, you see suffering. But Jesus Christ reminds you today, the pain and the anguish that you're experiencing is but momentary. And you can rejoice because you look forward to the day where your suffering will come to an end. Apostle Paul agrees with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Let me read this for you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond us all. Amen. See, Paul reminds us that any tribulations, suffering, causing you outer decay, what does that mean? What does it mean for an outer man to decay? It means what? You know what? You get wrinkles because of the stress, because of the pain of this earth and life. You lose hair. Look at me. 
You lose hair because you stress so much, you worry so much. He's saying, and when you look out, examine our, our lives and its appearance, though we may seem like we're decaying, but what's happening within us? We're being renewed. We're being made new day by day. For that reason, we're able to celebrate as we look forward to the day all of our suffering will be behind us. What a great joy that Jesus Christ has produced for us and brought to us. So where does this joy come from? How do we access this joy? Well, obviously, it comes only from Christ himself. You can see this truth expressed throughout our passage today, from verses 16 through 19. And Jesus uses a riddle of some sort to comfort the disciples who fell into deep sorrow and despair. Remember the verses that we read earlier? In verse 16, it says, In a little while... You won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you will see me again. He's like Jesus playing peekaboo. He's here and he's not here. And again after that, a little while, you will see me because I go to the Father. Well, the explanation of that short riddle or that uh, uh, kind of a, a conundrum for them, what, what Jesus is explaining about his death and resurrection well, the answer or the explanation of that is found in verse 20. Where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve at that time. But your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. He's simply saying, yes, you will be very sad and you will weep. While the world rejoices, because I would be dead, and I would be buried in the tomb for at least three days. But it says, he foretells of the resurrection that he would encounter. But after that, their sorrows will be turned into joy. And it's referring to the time when they would see him again, because he would have resurrected from the dead. You see, joy would come. From seeing Jesus and knowing that he's alive and well. Jesus himself is the cause of our great joy. We're able to rejoice. Joy, as you, as you, know, as you and I know, joy is not the absence of suffering or pain. Joy is the very presence of Christ amidst our suffering and pain. And Jesus is a great cause of their joy. Jesus is reminding them, I'm going to be gone, but I will return and I will be with you. For that, you rejoice. Well, back to you. This also presents a problem because we know that Jesus did not always physically stay with the disciples after his resurrection. You know that Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, and he spends three days in the tomb. On third day, he resurrected, and the scriptures tell us that he would spend 40 more days. 
But after those 40 days, Jesus eventually would be ascended to heaven. To join God the Father on the right hand side and seated at the right hand side of the throne. Jesus tells us that. The Bible tells us of that truth. Well, if the joy depended only on the physical presence of Jesus with them or with us, how would it last beyond those 40 days? How is Jesus able to guarantee to his beloved disciples that they can continue to have joy even in his absence, physical absence? Read verse 22 with me here. And I absolutely love this verse. And I kept reading it over and over again because I, I, Jesus, I, I thought in my opinion, Jesus was so intentional about letting them know that the joy that they would have depended on all that he had to do, not what the disciples had to do. I'll share that with you in a minute right here. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. First of all, Jesus reminds us that the joy that he gives to us, ain't nobody going to take that away from you. It is yours. People can beat you up for it to take that from you. They can coerce you. They can sweet talk you into giving up that joy. He says the joy that it gives to you, it is yours and yours forever. Nobody can rob that away from you. No one can take that away from you. Praise God. He tells them that their hearts will rejoice when he sees them again. He tells the disciples that they will rejoice when they realize that Jesus will see them again. You see, instead of when the disciple sees him again, instead of when they see him again, it's when Jesus himself will see them again that they would rejoice. You see, their joy would come from knowing that their Lord keeps seeing them. Their joy, the disciples' joy, comes in the fact that the eyes of Jesus is upon them. Though the disciples could not see him, he could very well see them and never take his eyes off of them ever again. And for that, he commands them, rejoice because my eyes are on you. Church, it's been exactly one month, actually five weeks since the last time we physically gather in this sanctuary to worship God shoulder to shoulder, hand to hand, being together in this room. And just reading the, the news updates, I'm not sure if anyone knows the time where we would be able to gather back here in the sanctuary. I don't know. One month? Two more months? Who knows? And during the past weeks, we've shared that our posture will be of this, such that in times of crisis, in times of uncertainty, that we have prayed this prayer that, God, we do not, there's turmoil all around us, there's battle going on, there's war, there's brokenness, pain, suffering. 
But we pray this prayer, but God, our eyes are upon you. And from week one, that kind of became our battle cry. And that was our uh, prayerful and faith-filled plea unto the Lord. God, our eyes will be upon you. But even in these past weeks, four or five weeks at that, we can't help but our faith grows weary. We can't help that our pledge, our commitment to the Lord, we see weakening as days go by. Sometimes we, feel like we, we find ourselves in, in same moments and places of vulnerability where we know that we're being shaken. Where, where the pressures and the pain around and, and from the world is getting to us. We're losing our bearing. We certainly find ourselves not having the tenacity, the strength, or the faith to keep our sights upon the Lord. And all of a sudden we find joy and strength being sapped out of us. You know what I love about the passage that we read today? Because he says, the joy that I'm giving to you, the strength and the power that you have, is not limited to you when your eyes are upon me. He's saying, I am looking at you right now. I see you wherever you are. Praise the Lord. And Jesus exhorts the disciples Even in times of mourning, even in times when you can gather enough strength to come to me, he says, rejoice because my eyes are upon you. Hallelujah. Know that you are never, ever alone because Perhaps our greatest distress comes when we feel like we are alone. It's in those moments where we don't necessarily feel God's presence. It's in those moments where we feel like we can no longer behold God. Today, know that our passage today takes a step further, letting us know, even though when we can't see Him, even though we may not be able to feel Him or behold Him, we rejoice because Our Lord Jesus Christ sees us. Amen. And that's not all, folks. Last point. Let's read verse 33 together. Ready? This is a good one, so I'm going to have you guys read with me. Ready? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart I have overcome the world. Now, we talked about Jesus sharing about his impending death on the cross. He shares about also the truth of his resurrection from the dead. And to encapsulate all of his life's uh, mission, he says, I have told you these things. See, he's saying, "I, I, I shared all of these things because... In me, you could have peace. In me, there's stability. 
In me, there's security. In me, there's absolute calmness and there's absolute wholeness. In me, there is peace. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And here on the side, I mean, he's letting us know the reality of a life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, when you have trouble. I don't know. He doesn't say, if you have trouble. He says, when you have trouble. He says, you will have trouble living this life. You see, being a Christian is not, we're not shielded from the pain and suffering of life. Remember what we talked about in point one? In spite of pain and suffering in our lives. He says, we, you will have trouble. But he says, be, but take heart. Be courageous. Be full of faith. Be strong. Because I have overcome the world. That word overcome is really important for us. Because Jesus is signifying of his victory. The power of sin that he defeated on the cross. And everything that he endured on the cross is becoming now a a symbolic reminder to us. Now that's the same DNA that he had. The DNA of the victor, the winner. Now we partake in his victory. He says, I have overcome the world. Any pain and suffering that you could ever imagine to be experienced during the course of your life here on earth. Guess what? I went head on. I met it face to face. Guess what? I became victorious. I won over when I faced these hardships and challenges. I was declared winner. And Jesus Christ tells them, Rejoice. Be confident. Be victorious because I have overcome the world. This is why, again, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, O death, where is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? You see, Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And today, we celebrate because He reigns victorious. And you and I, we see that in every instance, whether at His resurrection or after His ascension, in prayer or facing the world's tribulation, Christ is always the cause and the source of our joy. The Jesus Christ is a source of of your joy. Amen. And friends, I plead with you today. You must have him. You must experience this incredible joy. Without him, you would have never had it. You would never have it. You would never have complete joy or complete peace. Everything this world promises has a shelf life. You know that. It will eventually fizz off. The effect of the the things that this world promises to us, it will one day wear off. It will eventually cease. My prayer to you, for you today, is that you receive Jesus Christ into your heart today. Invite Him. Allow Him to increase His presence in your life. 
as you make him the Lord over your life. He's the source of your joy. He's the source of your life. And I want to share just a final word with you before closing this sermon and ending this Easter service today. May I invite the praise team to come on up? In just a moment, we will have a time to respond to the message that was given to us. In just a minute, you and I will sing. And you and I will express before God and before the world what salvation means to us, what resurrection of Jesus Christ means to us. If you're not yet pumped up, I bet you when I read these verses, you're going to want to sing. You're going to want to dance. You're going to want to rejoice with all that you have. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. Here it goes. Here it goes. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Church, let that be the cry of your heart today. Let that be our plea before the Lord and a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. That God, that you would turn my mourning, that you would turn my sorrow, that you would turn my grief into joyful dancing. God, allow me, grant me the faith to look beyond my circumstances. God, allow me to feel your love and intimate presence in spite of the presence of my enemies. God, today I want to rejoice. God, I must sing praises unto you. God, I must not be silent. God, I will give you thanks forever and evermore. Church, so pray with me. And praise with me today. For our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Allowing you and me to experience the power and the joy of his resurrection. God, we thank you for your love and sacrifice on the cross. God, we know because of what you have done on the cross that our sins are forever forgiven. But God, on this day, on this Resurrection Sunday, God, we rejoice because you have come alive. You have marched out of that tomb. You have rolled away the stone, God. God, we rejoice in the power of your resurrection. God, come to us in these intimate moments, Lord. Engulf us in your presence. Shower us with your love. Amen.